0: what's going on world welcome to changing the narrative this is a show where we discuss everything from politics philosophy theology social issues economics and more from a biblical perspective the main goal of this show is to find truth what is the truth about all these matters and how should we respond once we have a greater understanding of the issues let's discuss What's going on, people? Welcome to Changing the Narrative today. We have special guest, Dr. or Professor uh, Paul Copen. He's a Christian theologian and also professor of ethics and philosophy at PBA, Palm Beach, Atlantic University. He's written books such as, Is God a Moral Monster? True for you, but not for me. And What Would Jesus Really Eat? And many others. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks, great to be with you. Thanks for coming on. So, Paul, uh, wanted to talk about your book, uh, "True for You, But Not for Me." Uh, today, you know, we live in a society where people say you—you you often hear this phrase: um, "Well, live your truth, uh, do whatever makes you happy." When it comes to that particular saying, is this something? How, how does your book touch on that, and um, how does truth, or or can truth operate in that way? Well, the
1: people who say, well, I'm just living my own truths, that's just your truth, or this is my truth, Uh, you'd want to ask the question, well, is it true that people have their own truths? Or is that just your truth? Uh, When people say, throw around your truth, my truth, uh, we obviously understand that people have opinions and beliefs that don't match up with reality. Uh, But it really waters down the notion of truth when we say this is just my truth. Why not just say, well, this is my perspective and uh, or this is my opinion. I'm not sure what the truth of the matter is, but here's my take on it. That's a lot clearer and more helpful. Uh, When we talk about, we're talking about something, a belief, a story uh, that matches up with reality. Uh, If I say that something is true, like say the, if I say that the, you know that the, uh, that water is wet, uh, or if I say, you know, we can say that that's true, but if I say that the moon. Is made of cheese, that's false. Why? Because it doesn't match up with the way things really are. Truth is a matchup, uh, a relationship uh, of, of a statement or belief to reality. And if a belief or statement uh, matches up with the way things are, then it is true. Uh, And if it uh, you know, and so so that is really a more helpful way of looking at that's how we intuitively operate uh, when it comes to the the notion of truth. So I think I would begin there. Uh, truth is a relationship between a belief or a story and the way things really are. Truth is grounded in reality. Uh, truth, uh, a, tr- a statement is true because it matches up with reality. All
0: right. So when, you know, someone says, well, I I identify as this, or if a man says that, you know, I identify as a woman or um, I identify as a six-year-old, even though I might be 40 years old, obviously that's not matching up with reality. Why why do you think that we have, or how do you think we've reached this point in society where you can basically identify with what you want?
1: We have,
0: I think, lost touch with uh,
1: any sort of overarching meta narrative or larger story in which we we have. You know, this is what's called postmodernism, where uh, where you have certain Uh, identities that are created or constructed and
0: there is. Okay. Yeah. So I was asking, um, you know, in today's society, you can basically identify as whatever you want and you can live out your truth regardless of if it even, even lines up with reality or not. How do you think we have arrived to this point at this point? I would say that we have lost touch
1: with a greater reality than ourselves. So rather than trying to make sense of how we fit into a greater reality that grounds us, that, uh, you know, to a certain degree, defines us doesn't mean that we don't have choices and so forth, uh, but that gives us a proper understanding of who we are, what our purpose is, uh, um, what the good life looks like, looks like, and so forth, and that we have pretty much uh, rejected that uh, meta narrative, that larger story uh, that is basically the story of reality, and we have begun. To construct our own reality because we have departed from that story, and so we think that we are the ones who are the constructors of reality. We define who we are. We create our own identities, and so I think it has led to a lot of confusion uh, in our postmodern era, where uh, where any sort of narrative or larger narrative or meta narrative has been challenged because those meta narratives are somehow inherently oppressive that they are giving to us universal truth when, uh, when universal truth allegedly uh, creates Uh, barriers. It creates uh, an us versus them or other mentality uh, that it, uh, you know, that this is something that has led to all sorts of abuses toward other people who disagree with you. And so instead of embracing a meta-narrative or larger story, people say, we're the ones who construct our own stories. We're the ones who create our own uh, mini-narratives. There is no meta-narrative. The only problem is that view itself becomes its own meta narrative or larger story. And if you disagree with that view of reality, uh, you are basically, uh, considered, you know, wrong. You are, you are considered, uh, going uh, down a wrong pathway that is false. Uh, and so you will be challenged on that. It's, it's, so it's basically, it's more than just a matter of opinion. Uh, if you take another viewpoint, uh, you are, you are challenging the universal truth of that Modern viewpoint that says there is no meta narrative. We only have our own individual stories, and we can construct them any way we, that we want
0: to. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes you hear people say, um, "Well, do whatever makes you happy." Um, you think there is a right way to live, and who determines what is the the absolute standard in terms of living life, or how to live life? I should say.
1: Sure uh there are some important uh considerations as we look at the uh, the larger picture and I guess if we're talking about a meta narrative then we are talking about the story of reality how did things actually uh you know, what is the nature of reality itself we should take our cues from that rather than thinking oh I'm the source of reality and therefore I ought to be able to create my own uh, world uh like a lump of clay and shape it any way I want to. Uh, The thing is we ought to ask questions like, where did I come from? How did it all begin? Uh, What is the underlying ground of existence? Uh, The universe came to existence a finite time ago, 13.8 billion years ago, which tells us that something independent of the universe brought it into being. If we didn't have this thing that was already existing, this entity, this source, uh, we would not exist. Uh, so we need to think beyond our own selves and think about a uh, a an undergirding reality that that accounts for the existence of the world uh, and all that it, that exists within it. So, so I'd say, well, that's a, a good place to start. How did it all begin? Uh, and maybe looking to the source of our uh, the beginning of our world to say, maybe I should start to define myself in terms of that uh, source rather than my own often confused and misguided self uh, to try to orient and create my own reality and my own identity. And, uh, and, and so that's where I'd begin. Is there, a, is there a creator who has ordered things? And I would say, absolutely. Uh, there's a creator who has made the universe, has made human beings with dignity and worth and has created a world in which there is a, an order uh, by which we ought to uh, you know, uh, direct our lives. Uh, there is a purpose to life and, and and that that meaning comes from that uh, objective purpose that we have. Some people might say, "Well, how do I know anything about?" <laughs> Uh, well, we know that that being is very powerful. We know that that being is intelligent, that that being presumably has uh, a supreme value so that we human beings who do have value have received something from our source uh, that is also valuable uh, and gives us worth and dignity and, and so forth. Uh, I can go down a list of things like consciousness and rationality and beauty and so forth, that these sorts of things make excellent sense if God exists, but it's hard to account for them if there is no God. But if there is a beginning, it's one being that orders all of reality then we have to ask the question is there any way to get in contact with or to find guidance from uh, this uh, this being is there any further step that we can take to find out how this being that has created this world can help us out of the mess that we've made for ourselves that can 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 bring a resolution to evil and so forth and i would say the the contender that rises to the top whose head and shoulders above the rest is jesus of nazareth who said the one who is See me, uh, the one who encounters me, encounters God uh, in John fourteen nine in the in the in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, that this is, so Jesus basically is doing and saying the sorts of things that only God is supposed to be doing and saying. And so when he says I can forgive your sins, when he says Come to me and I'll give you rest, when he says he's going to be the judge of all, and he also not only says those things, but his followers who are dedicated monotheistic believing in one God, uh, Jews who can't worship anything but the creator, but yet they're worshiping Jesus. Uh, we find out that something unique is going on here and the claims that unique claims that Jesus makes for himself that no other world religious leader makes for himself that are so elevated, uh, that are so lofty and his own followers are believing in him in a culture where that was, if, if you're not dealing with God himself, then, then you are jeopardizing your own future destiny. Uh, you you have you you have Jesus who actually not only says these things, but also and rises from the dead bodily as a historical fact, confirm those sorts of things that he's been saying all along. So he's the one who is directing us. He's the one who is. Uh, who is able to give to us and fully inform us about that purpose, about that meaning, about how we ought to order our lives? So there is a connection between that being that began the universe, that structured reality in a, in a way that we uh, need to align ourselves with it, and that being, uh, you know. And then, so Jesus comes on the scene and says, "If you want to know what that who that being is, I'm here to tell you. I am the one." Uh, and so Jesus is connecting us to our source. Indeed, he is that very source uh, who tells us how we ought to order our lives. So that's the the, kind of the rough sketch of where I would go with, you know, how do we kind of sift through all that confusion? This is how we do it. We have a very clear voice in Jesus of Nazareth who stands head and shoulders above all other uh, world
0: religious leaders. Okay. And how do you respond to those that say, well, you know, you believe in Christ, you believe in the Bible, but I'm a Buddhist or... I'm a Muslim. Who are you to say that, you know, uh, all paths don't lead to God or, you know, I can choose my own path when it comes to spirituality. Um, How how do you respond to that?
1: Well, I'd want to, you know, anyone can make a claim. Uh, The question is, how do you justify it? Uh, So you say that there are many paths to God. Well, I'd like to know your reasons for it. Uh, So it's not enough to simply uh, make an assertion. Uh, If a person makes this knowledge claim, uh, I want to know why that person is making that claim. What are the reasons for that person making that claim? Uh, Jesus himself said that he's the only way. Uh, If I'm going to and Jesus is not only did he rise from the dead, not only did he make lofty claims for himself, uh, but uh, but Jesus is one who is also a highly regarded spiritual authority. And not just within the Christian faith, but uh, but you know he's considered a prophet in Islam, considered a uh, you know within uh, the the Bahai uh, faith, he's considered a one of these uh, one of these uh, key or seminal teachers uh, in 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 history. Uh, there are you know, even in the New Age movement, there is uh, an appreciation for uh, the Christ. Uh, There's a a figure here that uh, that has some sort of an authority. And when people are asking uh, about or they're making claims about reality, Uh, And, you know, this is, you know, this is kind of my preferred way or this is this is the way that I understand it. Well, if I had to choose between that person and Jesus of Nazareth, I'm going to go for I'm going to go with Jesus. Uh, Jesus is Trump. He trumps, easily trumps uh, the competitors. He is he is one who is recognized not only as making these lofty claims, but someone who is very sound, Uh, He's sane. Uh, He is not uh, a crazy man. He's not a liar. Uh, He is highly believable. You read the Gospels, you see a very compelling figure uh, in Jesus of Nazareth. So I'm going to go with Jesus, unless you've got somebody else to put forward. Uh, Jesus makes the best sense. Uh, so, so I'm going to start there. Uh, so anyway, people can kind of carve out or say, "Who are you to say that someone else is wrong?" Well, obviously they're saying that you're wrong for saying that someone else is wrong. Uh, you're saying you're they're saying that you're wrong because there aren't lots of ways to God. Well, Jesus said. He's the only way to God. Uh, you're saying there are lots of ways to God. If I had to choose between the two, I'm going to go with Jesus, unless you've got something uh, far more compelling than what Jesus presents and the historical evidence that goes along with Jesus.
0: Right. Well, in saying that, you're saying that all paths don't lead to God. There is only one path. Sure. So it
1: Now, I would I would add, though, that doesn't mean that there are that – Truth can't be found in other belief systems. Uh, You know, if if Jesus is 100% correct in his statements, uh, that doesn't mean that there can't be other uh, belief systems that, uh, you know, that don't overlap uh, with the, with what Jesus has said. You no, know, there can be, you know, truth is truth wherever it's, wherever it's to be found uh, in whatever belief system, uh, we can affirm that. But ultimately, Jesus is the one who is presented in the New Testament as being the one through whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, truth, wisdom, uh, they originate in Jesus. Uh, so you can find it through God's general revelation in the world, we can find many points of truth, not saving truth, but certainly many truths that we can affirm and connect with. And that's why, for example, the Apostle Paul, when he's preaching in, in Athens in Acts 17, he's quoting Stoic philosophers and thinkers because they're making true points that he can connect with. And he's building bridges to, uh, to point people to Jesus. So, so anyway, that's just I just want to clarify that.
0: Right. So when people say, oh, Paul, you know, that, that sounds a little arrogant. I mean, you're saying that, you know, not all paths lead to God. And, okay, there might be some truths in other religions, you know, that teach uh, basic principles about stealing and things like that. But if Christ says that he's the only way, then, I mean, where's everybody else going? Does that mean that all these other religions are just lies? Well, I think the religions uh, of the world, and I think
1: worldviews in general, and I think it's more helpful to talk about worldviews, or if people have a philosophy of life, you know, they have a view of reality, uh, and and I would say that uh, these worldviews or these religious impulses that people have, the longing for forgiveness, for purification. Or connecting with the transcendent, uh, that these are longings within each one of us, to you know, that are that are placed in there by God. That uh, as uh, as Augustine, the theologian, uh, said, "You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless." Until they find their rest in you, so I think those religions spring from a certain impulse to connect with something deeper, uh, and uh, and something uh, more reality-defining than our own individual selves. So there's something uh, true and, uh, and and important to affirm in that religious impulses. We are we are made to worship. Uh, the question is, what will we worship? And people can worship uh, God, the one true God, or God substitutes. And I would remind people who are listening to this uh, podcast that, uh, that as the Apostle Paul said in Acts 17 when he was in Athens, he said that God is not far from each one of us, that uh, that God is one who is uh, available to us, he in fact he commands us all to repent, which means that God makes sufficient grace available for all of us to cast ourselves upon God's mercy to respond to His initiating grace. Uh, you know, if you know, I would argue that no person is born at the wrong place or at the wrong time, that somehow uh, that their location or uh, their place in history somehow prohibits them or cuts them off. From having a connection with God. Uh, However, God's going to do it, uh, God is going to make sure that people have opportunity to respond to his initiating grace. They can say no, they can have their own way. And I think that that's ultimately what what it is. We can have our way, we can go with God, or we can say no to God. Uh, God gives to us that choice. Uh, but people aren't cut off by the because of the accidents of history or geography. That um, that's it's somehow subject to, oh, I have to grow up in this culture. Uh, and therefore, I, you know, I, I never heard of Jesus. Therefore, I have an excuse before God. Uh, no, God says that every mouth is going to be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. God's going to make sure that everything is uh, is, uh, justly done, uh, that God is not going to, uh, treat anyone unjustly in this whole process. However, he works that out. I I know people, I've met people who have had, uh, from a Muslim background who've had visions of Jesus showing up in their kitchen or in their bedroom. And, uh, and this has been the for them to, uh, to become followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, so God's able to reach people uh, with, with the good news of the gospel. And uh, we, we do our part and we entrust the rest to, to a just and kind and loving God who desires for all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge
0: of the truth. Right. Well, earlier you talked about Christ and uh, you know, oftentimes I get into discussions about the Bible. And, and one of the uh, most common objections I've had is, well, I can't trust the Bible because it's written by men. Or, you know, it's been tampered with or, you know, what about the other Gospels that have been added to it and and so on and so forth. And so, you know, people kind of like cherry pick what they believe. Um, What's your response to that? Well, you've raised uh, quite a few questions
1: there. Um, let me uh, let me try to give a few uh, general points here that might uh, might help us as we as we look at this. Uh, one, just because something is written by uh, a human being uh, doesn't mean it's necessarily false. Uh, for example, I can write down two plus two equals four and be dead on. Uh, that's uh, that's you know I, I can write down something that is true. Uh, Why not add, you know, maybe I can add other truths to something that I've written uh, accurately here. Uh, But secondly, uh, the when we're talking about the sorts of things that Jesus is saying, uh, even as people listen to him, they would say things like never before has a human being spoken like this man does Uh, They recognize that there is something unique and special about Jesus that far surpassed uh, what was said about the authority. He he is one who spoke with authority, unlike those religious leaders of Jesus' day. So we have someone who definitely is who stands out not only in his teaching, but uh, his teaching is bound up with his own person. He says, not come to my teaching and it will give you rest. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. He said, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, Jesus was making claims that people would pick up stones to stone him because he, as a mere man, was putting himself in the place of God. So, So we see that Jesus is doing some things that are utterly arresting. And to confirm those sorts of things that Jesus is saying, he rises from the dead. Now, some people will say, oh, that's just a religious book. Well, I'd say just step back a minute. Uh, one, there are many historians who recognize that there are valuable historical portions in the Bible, in the New Testament, in particular related to uh, the historical Jesus, that we can know a lot of things about the historical Jesus. Uh, you know, again, not because we treat the Gospels as a holy book or a set of holy writings, but just because what we know of history, it, 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 it meshes, it fits, it has the ring of truth to it. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote two books of the New Testament that no one doubts were written by him. Paul wrote Galatians and Paul wrote first Corinthians. And these were written uh, before the, the gospel written. And what we see there is a lot of historical evidence within those two books that Paul wrote, that no one disputes Paul wrote, that have information about the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about the, the, the eyewitnesses, to the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus was even seen by more than 500 people at one time. And Paul said most of them are still alive. The implication being you can actually go and ask these people who saw Jesus. Uh, And again, this is written very early on. This tradition that was passed on to Paul that he passed on to the Corinthians. This came from the earliest teaching of the church that just erupted on the scene. Uh, be proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, James, who was the brother of Jesus, Jesus appeared to him, and he, during the lifetime of Jesus, as John 7 says, even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Uh, Jesus appeared to uh, the apostle Paul, uh, who had been a persecutor of the church. Uh, What turned him around? So we have two significant conversions, and we read about James Uh, The brother of Jesus, who is actually turns out to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. He becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem and and the historian Josephus, not a Christian, but he writes about the uh, about uh, about uh, James as being the leader of the Jerusalem church, writes about Jesus, uh, his brother, and writes about John the Baptist. Uh, and so so we see that there are these inner you know interwoven connections between what we know from history through uh, someone like Josephus and the New Testament. We see a lot of parallels that are there, so we have very again even if you don't treat th- Galatians, and, uh, and you know, which also mentions Paul's visiting with the Jerusalem apostles and uh, and talking about you know basically going to Jerusalem to do some historical investigation. Uh, he, he he says these things kind of matter-of-factly, off the cuff, as it were, not because he's trying to prove a point. He's saying these are the things that we know about; these are the things that have happened. But even if you don't treat those books as religious documents, they offer us a lot of valuable insight into the bodily resurrection and why it was important for the early. Christian community.
0: All right. Now, what do you think the consequences are of, um, I guess, having your own worldview or creating your own system of beliefs?
1: Well, if we create our own worldview and are pretty much uh, autonomous and detached from our Creator, uh, the very one who has made us to function in a certain way, who has given to us that dignity. Uh, who is the one who basically says, "Stay away from God's substitutes. <laughs> um, because it's sort of like you know taking drugs uh, or uh, or engaging in criminal behavior. You know, if you do those sorts of things, it's only going to come back to harm you. And, and God says, God tells us to stay away from God's substitutes because we'll eventually become like what we worship. If we worship God's substitutes, if we basically take our cues from ourselves or our culture, uh, we're going to be led astray. We're going to be following a pathway that ultimately leads to our own self-destruction, that leads to uh, to harm uh, to us in the end. Uh, Jesus said that the one who tries to save his life the one who tries to create his own identity, tries to uh, to buttress himself up uh, based on his own props and uh, resources. The person who tries to save himself uh, or save his life is going to lose it. But Jesus says the one who loses his life for my sake. That is, if you seek to find your identity in who I am, if you find if, if you are connected to me, you are getting to this very source of your own being, uh, the source of the very structure that makes for human flourishing, the source of ultimate satisfaction, the source of wisdom, if you're connected to him, then you're going to be directed in a right path that actually leads to human flourishing rather than human destruction. So uh, it, it basically, uh, we're, if we're going to follow a blueprint. It ought to be the designer's manual. It ought to be the the creator's manual, rather than trying to do kind of start from scratch and do our own self creation and see where we go from there. Uh, that's that's a very uh, precarious and unreliable and ultimately self destructive uh, way of going about doing life.
0: All right. Well. You know, I get into conversations with people at times that, um, you know, I can ask a basic question like, why is murder wrong? And mm-hmm. you know, I, I might ask this question to people who have that relative worldview, who feel like, well, I'm doing things that feel right to me while I'm living my truth or this is what feels right. And, you know, if I ask them a question like, well, why is murder wrong? Most of the time, the answer I get is, well, you're taking another person's life. And if you keep pressing on that question, you ask, well, okay, what's wrong with that? The response is, well, it's wrong. But there's really no foundational um, meaning behind why they believe what they believe. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I personally, I find that's dangerous because now there's no foundation for what, for what your, uh, your life is, you know, ultimately. And you're just operating <laughs> on feelings.
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it is uh, dangerous. It is wrong. It is false. And, uh, and, you know, they certainly, you know, often go hand in hand. Uh, But I would, I I think you're, you're right in pointing out that uh, these, those who are relativists who say this is just my truth. And then when you ask them about obvious things like, uh, you know, torturing babies for fun, Uh, You know, they they recognize that these things are wrong, but they don't have any any basis for affirming human dignity and worth. Uh, They have no basis for uh, affirming the place of moral duties. Uh, Once you once you affirm that relativism is the case and that we can create our own meaning, that it is up to us to be our own authorities, then what happens when you run into people who have conflicting views from you? Uh, Well, basically you're left with, uh, you know, whoever has uh, the greater power uh, can, can subdue the person who disagrees. Uh, so it's no longer a matter of truth; it's a matter of power. This is what Nietzsche, uh, the, the philosopher, was basically saying. Uh, once you abandon objective truth, uh, you're left with assertions of power. You're left with the the fundamental uh, issue of people, uh, you know, disregarding uh, any uh, anything else but what they can get away with, what they can do, what they can uh, accomplish, and anything that gets in their way, they're going to remove. So, so yeah, you're you're right, um, you know, to construct our own worldview uh, and to say, this is just what I feel, this is just what I like. Uh, Well, what happened? How do you adjudicate or how do you judge between uh, conflicting uh, truth claims? Uh, Ultimately, the notion of relativism is self-refuting. If I say this is just, uh, if a belief is just uh, my truth, uh, well, uh, is that are you asserting something that's objectively true? Uh, if, but if it's something that's just the way that you feel, well, why should I pay attention to it? You've got, a, you've got a, you know, billions of other people who can say that same thing. Why should I take anyone's view seriously? So, uh, so say that we are ultimately dealing with a, a view that is self-contradictory. If I say that there is no truth, I'm basically affirming that it's true that there is no truth, and of course that's self-contradictory. So relativism is just—it's—it's—it's uh, it's false from the get-go. Uh, it's problematic from the get-go, and uh, we we simply cannot escape truth. We cannot escape knowledge. If we say that uh, there is no truth, that is a truth statement. If we say we can't know, well, that itself is a knowledge claim, and I'd want to know how you know that.
0: All right. Do you think that's uh, one of the reasons why we have or the major reason why we have all this chaos going on in society? Um, And I mean, I mean, we can talk about a lot of different areas, but do you think that's why we see a decline in, I guess, morality in society? Well, sure. I think
1: once we start to lose touch with the image of God, once we start to lose touch with the fact that human beings are made with dignity and worth, uh, we will basically uh, obliterate, uh, or, uh, or confine people who get in our way of achieving our objectives, uh, back in, you know, in the, as, as communism was on the rise in, uh, in Russia, uh, there is a New York Times, uh, reporter, Walter Duranty who actually ended up getting a, uh, a, a, you know, a a prize, uh, you know, Pulitzer Prize for his writing about how communism was working in Russia. And it was a total fabrication. Uh, He was he was covering up. He was lying. People tried to expose uh, tried to expose those lies, and uh, and he had to finally admit that yes, Stalin did take people's lives. He they, you know he those who got in his way, he just removed them. Uh, so he had to admit that. But he did say because he loved he was enamored of communism so much. He said, "Well, sometimes you have to break some eggs to make an omelet." Uh, yeah. That's the kind of mentality that you're going to have if fundamentally you get rid of these objective truths. Uh, that human beings have dignity and worth, uh, that human beings ought to, you know, that they have moral duties. Uh, once truth, once morality uh, are, you know, once objective truth and morality are no longer uh, part of your worldview, your way of operating, because, they're, of course, they're rooted in reality. Once you deny that reality, then anybody that gets in your way, why not? Whatever means I can use to get to achieve my uh, goal, uh, whether that be, Trampling on the Constitution, uh, trampling on uh, any sort of you know any any you know uh, you know we're you're now in this question of voter irregularity and so forth. Well, hey, if you can get away with cheating the system, if you can get away with uh, uh, stockpiling votes, doing things illegally, what would ultimately be wrong with it? It's just so long as you get your agenda across. You get your agenda established and so forth. So so yeah, there are deep problems that, uh, that come with denying uh, the reality of how we are made. And basically, it's left up to uh, what the book of Judges talks about of everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're heading more and more toward that kind of a, uh, a situation. And uh, again, once you get rid of truth, once you get rid of morality, uh, then uh, basically you're left with uh, whatever power can accomplish.
0: Right. Yeah, I think we're seeing the, uh, the fruits of that type of worldview um, basically manifest itself now. Um, when it comes to interpretation, I often hear uh, people say, well, that's your interpretation of the Bible. You know, um, I, I don't really see it that way. Is there a correct interpretation? And how do you arrive at the correct interpretation when it comes to Scripture?
1: Well, let me first deal with this, the slogan. Well, that's just your interpretation. Uh, Well, when people say that, they presumably mean that your interpretation is wrong and they, uh, with their interpretation, are right. Uh, Or at least they're saying, I don't know what the interpretation is, but I know yours is wrong. Uh, So they're making knowledge claims about this. Uh, So it's not as though they can, you know, they should be able to get away with just simply saying, well, that's just your interpretation. Well, I don't want to know why you disagree with that interpretation. Uh, Is it objectively uh, true uh, that, uh, that I am wrong, or is it just that you don't like the interpretation that I'm giving? Uh, and so I want to explore that a little bit more. But secondly, I'd also want to uh, note that, sure, there are texts that are disputed. Now, there are texts that are debated. Uh, how do we interpret this? Well, sometimes people give three or four or five, maybe even uh, meanings to a certain passage. That doesn't mean that all texts are that way. Some, you know, many of them are straightforward. In fact, uh, Mark Twain said, it's not, the, it's not the, uh, the, the unclear passages of the Bible that I have trouble with. It's the clear ones that I do. And so, uh, so he recognized that there, no, there are pretty clear interpretations here and uh, you can't get around them. But uh, there are sometimes disputed texts, and I'd say many times the dispute comes, not always, but many times the dispute comes because we're dealing with different types of literature within Scripture, different genres within Scripture. Uh, so sometimes people assume that every text ought to be treated as literal unless we uh, unless we have good reasons for taking it figuratively, and, and, and often that works when you're dealing with historical narrative and so forth. But when you're dealing with a book like Revelation, you basically flip that on its head and you say, well, basically you assume that this uh, that Revelation is uh, is giving you a lot of symbolic or figurative language, unless there are strong reasons for taking it literally. Uh, So you see a genre or type of literature is like a contract between an author and his readership. Uh, that the that there are certain rules by which this author is operating and if you go outside of those rules you're going to mishandle the text that is being that has been written you're going to you treat it in a way that the author never intended to do so and so there is a, a science uh, it's you know, called hermeneutics there's a science of biblical interpretation that you try to discern the meaning of the text by looking at what the author, writing in his own time to a certain audience using various types of literature is seeking to communicate to those who are going to be reading his text. So we ought to be fair to the, uh, the text, the context, the, uh, the setting in order to make the best sense out of that text rather than simply saying, uh you know this is the way I'm going to do it or I can't understand it therefore there must not be any uh, uh, any proper interpretation of it no it takes homework it takes work to to dig in and and get to the bottom of the meaning of some of these texts uh, so so I'm advocating that it, it's rather if someone put it this way it's like a the, the hermeneutic or the method of interpretation is kind of like a spiral you're kind of honing in on Clarifying the meaning. Sometimes it's very clear and uh, indisputable. Other times there may be some, you know, negotiation. Some, so to speak. Some, some you you can't determine or settle on this or that uh, potential meaning but uh, but there are but you'd certainly say there are other interpretations that are totally ruled out. It uh, doesn't mean that any interpretation is just as good as any other. Uh, and some people make that mistake as well. Uh, there are uh, plausible interpretations and there are highly implausible ones as well. Uh, so that's all part of this, the science. So we're, it's like a, what's called the hermeneutical spiral. We're honing in on the meaning. As we do our homework, we're getting, clari- we're getting clarity. As we understand the historical context, we're getting clarity. And, and so does it mean we're perfect? No, but we can do our homework and get a lot of things right because we're honing in on, uh, on those tools that are available to us for interpretation. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess that's an example right there of uh, people applying relativism or their feelings to scripture, you know, you know, you can say, well, I feel like it says this, you know, and, and just disregarding the context, like you said, basically Mm -hmm. uh, making up scripture as they go along. Um. Yeah. Well, do do you think that God intended for us to, I guess, work through Scripture, or I mean, treat Scripture as something that we have to use a lot of reason and and brain power with? Because I, you know, I find when I read Scripture, sometimes I'm like, man, this is this is kind of complicated. And I got to go digging over here and maybe read some commentary to see what was going on behind the scenes. You think that's the way God yeah. intended it? Well,
1: sure. Uh, once you are removed from the ancient setting, and there are, you know, you're you may be superimposing of modern categories upon ancient texts that. Again, the the ancient audience wouldn't have had a problem with, but because we're so removed in terms of culture and time, uh, these sorts of things require uh, more digging. Now, can we get a a lot of things right, even if we don't look at the background information, the cultural context, and so forth? Sure, we can get a lot of things right. Uh, but there are some things that uh, do become more complicated because we're more removed from the ancient scene, from the ancient uh, audience that originally received uh, this, uh, this, uh, this text. I'll give you an example. In the book of Revelation, there's uh, Jesus' is, uh, speaking to the church of Laodicea in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he says, because you are neither, tells the Laodicean church, because you're neither hot nor cold, but are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you understand a little bit of the cultural background, uh, you understand that Jesus is actually speaking to things that the Laodiceans would readily have understood. Uh, And one of them is the reference to hot and cold. Now, A lot of people in our day will say, oh, hot. That means you're on fire for Jesus or cold. You're totally opposed to Jesus. You're hostile to him, maybe. But Jesus would rather have you be cold uh, and opposed to him rather than lukewarm, and because you're lukewarm, kind of sitting on the fence, uh, that Jesus is, you know, he will spit you out of his mouth, he will reject you, etc. Well, if you look at the ancient cultural context, you realize, oh, that's a kind of a modern meaning that's been superimposed on in ancient text. Actually, what's going on there is that uh, the, uh, you know, there, there were three cities in view here. Uh, one is obviously the town of Laodicea, to whom Jesus is speaking, the church there. Uh, but there are nearby towns. Uh, one is Colossae, uh, and the other is Hierapolis, in Colossae and you can actually remember this in English it's 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 helpful uh you know that with with regard to the uh with Laod with Hierapolis they had hot water h Hierapolis hot water uh they had hot water that they that was being piped into Laodicea you know these kind of hot springs uh, this water is being piped in um, by the time it got to Laodicea it was lukewarm there was also the, here's the seep you know colossi cold water uh, that colossi is being you know has has these cold springs and cold water was also being piped in from nearby colossi but again by the time it got to laodicea it was l lukewarm and you know the point is not uh, you know the, the point here is that jesus would rather have us be useful hot or cold rather than useless Lukewarm. Uh, So there's so so Jesus is is talking about you know he's reflecting on those failed water piping projects uh, you know that came to Laodicea and it turned out to be a a waste of energy and money and so forth. So so it's helpful to understand the background material. So it does yes require uh, some digging, uh, but uh, but we again we need not despair uh we can do do our homework like i said there are plenty of tools that are available to us today those commentaries those you know again many resources that uh, that give to us a greater understanding of what the scriptures are saying uh but uh, but again uh, it, it takes work. It's not something that just comes to us by kind of a casual, being a casual reader of the word. But there are some wonderful tools that are available. Uh, one book that I've recommended to many people as they wanted to kind of plunge in for the first time in reading scripture, I just recommend the, uh, the tool uh, called the the New Bible Commentary and its companion, the New Bible Dictionary, published by InterVarsity Press, that, uh, that walks you through a number of these texts and gives you a lot of guidance along the way, and then resources for further digging if you want to look at, this, say, some of these individual books of the Bible. Uh, but that's a place that I would start if people are curious. And if you want to know a little bit more about the genre or types of literature within scripture, uh, there's a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, published by Zondervan. And it's written by an old and a New Testament scholar, uh, uh, two scholars who are uh, writing about this. And they give you guidance as to how to treat parables, uh, gospels, epistles or the letters in the New Testament or historical narrative or poetry and so forth. So a lot of rich material there that gives you guidance
0: on how to treat the particular types of literature within scripture. Right. Yeah, this is why you need commentary. Well, me personally, because you know, oftentimes I do get uh, tied up in the weeds. Um mm-hmm. how are you looking on time? Uh probably should wrap
1: up soon, but uh okay. but um but yeah, maybe one more question.
0: Okay. Okay, how do you feel or well I shouldn't say feel, but what do you say to those that say I guess the better question is, is life all about happiness? I mean and I asked that because Again, a lot of times I have conversations with people and they say, Yeah, you know, I just want to live my best life and I'm, I just want to do what makes me happy um, mm-hmm. and just pursue whatever means will give, not whatever means, but the means generally that will, you know, allow me to get there without violating mm-hmm. any laws. Um, Is life all about happiness? Well, I suppose a lot depends
1: on what we. What we mean by that. uh, I would say
0: generally, you know, when people tell me that they mean make tons of money, live materially um, prosperous, um, you know, be with a beautiful person, have a great relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, of course, you look at Hollywood and people who are the Hollywood types, the celebrities, they got a lot of money. Uh, They have, uh, you know, they're married or living with people who are considered, uh, you know, attractive, et cetera. Uh, So you have people who live those lives. But when you look, when you look more deeply uh, past the surface, you see that there's a lot of hollowness, a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of unhappiness. So so clearly money, looks, intelligence and so forth don't guarantee uh, happiness at all. Uh, that there need to be other factors in place that are uh, that are better, uh, be- that provide better grounding for uh, what, what some people define as happiness. Uh, l- let me also say that in our own day, happiness has come to mean Feeling good, not having any problems, being living a stress-free life, etc. Uh, and uh, again, I can appreciate wanting to scale back on things that ramp up your stress levels. Sure, when you can do that, uh, that's uh, you know for your own sanity, for your own uh, physical and uh, even emotional and spiritual well-being. Uh, there are ways in which we can scale back uh, on those stress producers uh, in our lives. But uh, happiness, in the classical understanding, had to do with human flourishing, had to do with human well-being, uh, and but today it just means kind of a hedonistic pursuit of anything that makes me feel good. Uh, and I would I would say that that is a misguided understanding of you know, happiness today. But uh, we do have people, Christian thinkers, like. Uh, Blaise Pascal, or Augustine, or C.S. Lewis, uh, and others who said we are we are made to live a happy life. The question is you know, what what I think is better to, to be understood here is uh, a life that is conducive to human flourishing, which may include trouble. It may include poverty. (laughs) It may include deprivation. I mean, Jesus said, if you want to, like I said, if you want to save your life, uh, you'll lose it for my sake and you will find it. Uh, The true ultimate satisfaction comes, first of all, because we're rightly connected to God. Uh, If we cling to things that are not God, we'll ultimately end up destroying or harming ourselves because we're clinging to God's substitutes. So as Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, food, drink, clothing, all those things that, uh, that people run after, those things will be taken care of. But make sure that your priority is to seek first God's kingdom, uh, that uh, that blessedness or uh, you know, happiness in the in the in the in the best sense of the word of, of human flourishing uh, is not something that comes because we're actually trying to pursue it directly. Uh, that it is actually a byproduct of seeking the highest priority. So the apostle Paul in first, sorry, in Philippians chapter four said, uh, you know, writing from prison said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself, whether hungry or well fed, whether abounding. Uh, you know, whether I'm uh, living, uh, you, know, you know, living high uh, on, on on what God has given uh, to us to enjoy or whether I'm deprived. Uh, I've learned how to be humbled as well as to abound. And Paul said, you know, where is this source of contentment? He said, I've learned to be content. He said, I can do all things through Christ, through the one who gives me strength. So in other words, Paul said, I can find contentment in hardship, I can find contentment in hunger, I can find contentment in whatever my circumstances are. Why? Because I've got Jesus. I can learn to be content. I've learned to be content because I have Christ who gives me strength to endure whatever circumstances may come my way. That is the true source of contentment. That is the true source of happiness. And Jesus reminds his followers, he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So if you equate happiness with being, uh, being trouble-free, uh, having no persecutors, uh, don't go the way of Jesus. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But Jesus also gives perspective in John 16, 33, when he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah, But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, my, you know, I kind of wrap it up by saying this that in the long run, we will find that contentment, that deep happiness in the presence of God through Jesus Christ, that God guarantees that uh, all the things that we have done, all the self sacrifice for His name, uh, you know, even if it's not rewarded in this life, will ultimately be united with the deepest possible happiness in the life to come, uh, that there will be peace, there will be uh, we'll be free from sorrow and so forth, that this is the, the deepest longing that we have ultimately. And we can find, even in the midst of uh, trying circumstances here on earth, Jesus said, you know, my peace I give to you. It's not the kind of peace that the world gives. He's, it's a, it's a qualitative piece that is connected to this ultimate reality. Again, circling back to that big story, uh, the story of reality that connects to God, that God is the one who is the source of, uh, of of, of you know, all reality outside of himself. And if we live in accordance with how God has designed us, how he has made the world, how we are to, you know, we will know how to order our lives and recognize that this is not the only life that there is. And a lot of people just cling to this life as though it's the only life that there is. And so they're desperate to get everything crammed in and, and maybe even radically change society within their lifetime so that they can reap the rewards of their labors. Well, what if you don't have that? What if you can't? And I'd say the revolutionary way is not the way to go. Uh, but uh, but I would say this is not the only life that there is. This is a platform. This is a uh, this is a pathway to the ultimate life with God. And so, in this life, we set our course. We set our spiritual compass in one direction or the other. And so, in the end, we will get what we want if we want a life with with God then we can find that by submitting ourselves to God's directives and God's design for us. But if we want uh, want to find those things without God, then God says, okay, have it your way. And so we can have our own way with God. In fact, to be in the presence of God while we want our own way, Uh, ultimately, uh, you know, you know, it's, it, it ends up being uh, a great, uh, it ends up, Torturing us, as it were, to be in the presence of God, even if we don't want to align ourselves with God and repent of our sins. So, so those are some things to consider as we kind of wrap this up. And I uh, yeah. just want to say thanks so much,
0: Rashad, for the opportunity to be with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. That was some powerful stuff. I I definitely want to continue this conversation in the future. Um, Paul, where can uh, listeners get your books?
1: Well, I appreciate your, uh, your offer, uh, to make that public. Uh, I have a website. It's, uh, paulcopan.com, P-A-U-L-C-O-P-A-N.com. And if you're interested in, so there are articles and, uh, notes of, uh, books that I've written, but you can also go to Amazon, just look at Paul Copan and see some of the things that I've written and edited. And hopefully you'll be, uh, edified in your reading of my stuff. All right. Perfect. Thanks for coming on, Paul. All right thanks very much Rashad blessings on are-